You're listening to And Then Some, a conversation with diverse thought leaders across sectors and the media, where we explore strategic communications, current trends, and how they impact us all. This podcast is presented by Solomon McCown and Sensi, an award-winning, fully integrated PR and government relations agency. This is And Then Some. Hi, everyone. I'm TJ Winnick. And I'm Reva Chessis, and this is And Then Some. Today, we are incredibly fortunate to have Rodrigo Martinez, who is Chief Marketing and Experience Officer of CIC Health, today on the podcast. For those who don't know, CIC Health, which grew out of the Cambridge Innovation Center, is doing an unbelievable job all over the state of Massachusetts, organizing massive COVID-19 testing and now vaccination sites at major venues, including Gillette Stadium and Fenway Park. But beyond that, Rodrigo has more than two decades of industry experience internationally, working on everything from business strategy, branding, marketing, communications, and creative leadership in sectors including healthcare, life sciences, and consumer genomics. Needless to say, he is a skilled expert in communications and even free dives on the side, which means he can beat all of us in a contest of who can hold their breath longer. Rodrigo, thanks for being here. So glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Of course. And we've got so much we want to talk to you about, Rodrigo. So I'm going to jump right in. You have had a super interesting career thus far. Can you tell us a bit about the key turning points or experiences along the way that have led you to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I think like all of us, there's a zigzag and they come back and, you know, two steps forward, one step back uh, type of story. I would say, I think the first uh, sort of uh, why in the road for me was I had the incredible opportunity to work at the Exploratorium, the science, the hands-on science museum in San Francisco as a teenager. So I went from Mexico. I grew up in Mexico. I'm, you know, half German, a little bit of Polish in there and half Mexican. And I had the chance to go there for two summers to work uh, at the Exploratorium. And that basically opened up the world for me, right? I mean, being in San Francisco, uh, it was 1987 and you had um, uh, exposure, not just to the incredible museum and science and hands-on, but it was also the first time that you go to a place like Haight-Ashbury and the Red Vic and you see, you know, Clockwork Orange and you're 17. You know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful place. Uh, and I think my, uh, my love for how to experience science and how to storytell around science started at the Exploratorium. I think that was the first milestone. I think after that, um, you know, there, there are probably a couple of other stops along the way that have their own influence. But clearly for me, um, in, you know, in 1999, I had the, the incredible pleasure of and fortune to receive a scholarship for grad school at Harvard, uh, an academic scholarship. And at that point, I basically uh, left Mexico and uh, was supporting my parents. And I had $125 in my pocket. And I got the scholarship and I basically arrived in Boston. I actually wasn't even sure exactly where Harvard was. I know it was sort of north of New York and somewhere in the vicinity of Boston, but I actually did not know exactly where it was. You know, it was a different time. And that clearly was uh, another why along the road. Yeah, one's first uh, Kubrick film, definitely a 
formative experience. Uh, you know better than most, Rodrigo, how important it is to sort of understand a person or organization's background to uh, craft a story or message or campaign to really kind of like meet consumers where they are. So, you know, we're curious to know how your experience as a Latino executive has, has shaped your work and really your POV. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting question. Um, I think my family uh, basically evolved in Mexico because my, my grandparents came uh, escaping the war after having fought against Hitler and Franco and escaping from concentration camps and, and basically arrived in Mexico. So the story of the family starts with immigrants that uh, and also um, you do, you say, you act what you think is right for the benefit of everybody. And sometimes that has a high cost. So there's an inherent understanding of differences among us, the richness of that, the value of that, and how do you move along those differences in a way that are constructive. So I would say that's sort of my, if, if you like, the DNA anchor of the, of the, of the family side. Um, Having grown up in Mexico, I never thought of myself as Latino or Hispanic. I was just, you know, Mexican with, with you know, half Mexican of German. We're all whatever you are, right? Like, it's only when you leave the context that you identify a different way to describe even yourself. Um, so, you know, as, a, as an immigrant, Hispanic, Latino in, in this country, um, I think part of what I try to bring is a, a perspective of, uh, the different paths that we have traveled individually and our families have, and that in order to understand that, the nuances matter. And I think I, if I combine that with, I had the, the opportunity to learn an incredible amount of, of things when I worked at IDEO, the international global design firm. You cannot design a product, a service, and experience if you're not curious about humans. And being curious about humans also means that you want to understand those nuances. Uh, what is it that makes you feel a particular way? And that needs to incorporate the social, cultural, economic construct. What is it that you think adds more value to you and your family? Again, you need to understand the construct. Otherwise, you can't describe it again. So I think the curiosity on one side, the anchor on a story that we each bring along our way. And it didn't start with us. It obviously goes back to some of our ancestors. And then the inherent design to be curious about humans in order to be able to design engaging touch points, that being also not just a product or a service or a space, but also a story. How we engage people has to do with how are we curious about who they are so that we can craft not just the logical elements of the story, but the emotional aspects of that. Um, and I think that's partly how I uh, mix all of these elements into the storytelling that I try to do and I do with my team. That's fascinating. You know, I, I wasn't going to get into this, but because you mentioned your sort of DNA uh, making you predisposed to acting on behalf of the greater good, the fact that in this vaccination campaign, you were trying to reach people across race gender, uh, socioeconomic status, many groups of which might be skeptical, right, uh, of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. How does your ability to, to relate and understand human nature impact your thinking about how how this campaign should, you know, been should have been debuted and, and, and continued now? Yeah. So first of all, let me say that I have an incredible, amazing team. Like this is by no means just my work. On the contrary, 
my my job really is to make sure that my team members can do their best work graphic design storytelling digital copywriting stories out to the world etc so i'm i'm what i'm trying to describe is something that is clearly a team effort so we had an interesting challenge when when i joined cic health we knew we were going to be we were basically involved at that time august september in one of the most important aspects of that anybody was experiencing with health at that point, which was COVID testing. But we were not a health startup. We're actually not a healthcare provider. We came out of the understanding of the importance of logistics and operations of putting things together quickly among different partners in order to scale a solution that is effective, efficient, and a good solution. So the question is, first, we had to basically create a brand that would tell an honest story about who we are. We're not a hospital. We're not a healthcare provider traditionally. And we're not a medical company, but we are associated in a way with health because all the guests that come to our testing sites and now vaccinations are obviously engaging with us because they want to improve something in their health. So the first piece was how do we create a craft of a a brand identity and a bit of a story that is human and creates trust? So we created a voice for CIC Health. Uh, we created a persona and how she talks. She's in her uh, upper 30s. What is her background? What does she do? How does she talk? And everybody in the team and everybody that work with, we share everything from that voice and how does she talk and how, you know, how does she engage with you? And we translate that from the voice to the copy, to the visuals, to the channel, to the videos, to everything. And then, of course, the physical setup, signage, flow, all of that. So what I wanted to say was that one of the most important elements that I think has been missing in this in this uh, pandemic clearly has been communication. We know there was a scientific and medical challenge. How do we understand the virus and get a vaccine done apart from the testing? Great. We had incredible people work on that and what they've accomplished is just incredible. The second challenge was operations and logistics. How do we get this vaccine out? And clearly, if we look back, there's there's a lot of things that could have gone better nationally, regionally, globally, internationally, you know, the whole thing. We were we really could have done a much better job to understand how we're going to operationalize the logistics of getting it out. But the third challenge was communications. And we know that we could have done so much better, right? Like there is no global communication campaign. Every country is trying to do the best they can. In every country, there's every region trying to do a little here, a little there. And we're making obviously a lot of progress. But I think one of the key pieces that we missed to understand is that this is the most emotional moment for all of us that are alive today and our kids and our grandkids. So three or four generations that are alive today, depending on which country you're in, it's an emotional moment. It's been not just a medical, clinical, difficult moment, but it's been an emotional moment. So how do we recognize that in the communications that we put out there? Everything from a press release, to a welcome sign, to a website, to recognize this is an emotional moment. And how we design our storytelling around that understanding is as important as what time do we open the vaccination site or what type of vaccine are you giving? And I think that's a key piece that we can all do much better in terms of the communication aspect of this pandemic. It's an emotional moment. There's messages that need to go across. 
Sure, they need to be correct in factually and based on science, but it's not the science. Communicating the science is not just going to touch people's emotions. It's about, I want to hug my grandmother again. It's about, I want to see my kids grow together with the neighbors. It's about, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll give you one example. For our vaccination sites, we have a sign at the entrance. And the first thing that that sign says for all our guests, and by the way, we call them guests, not patients, because they're not sick and they're not our patients. They are our guests. And therefore, we everybody in our in our sites has the mentality to treat them as guests. And what back to that sign, what it says is welcome. We know this is an emotional moment or an important moment for you and our community. And that's what we start. We want to recognize that. We don't start by saying, where's your insurance card? Or what time do we open? Or, you know, all the logistical things that of course we need to get right. But Starting an experience with an emotional touch point makes a huge difference for all the storytelling that comes after that. I think that that's a really compelling and and certainly an effective way to, like you said, to bring people in, to encourage them to feel more at ease um, at a time that's really stressful right now. And I wanted to just kind of ask, building off of the answer that you were just talking about in terms of using effective communication, you know, in this major effort that you and CIC Health, the whole team are working on right now, how how have you also leveraged good design on top of that effective communication strategy and on top of that storytelling and emotional strategy that you've that you were just talking about to get as many people tested and vaccinated as possible? You know, what can you tell us about the experience of, of I guess ramping up from literally zero to a hundred with vaccination and testing? Yeah, so there is a big overlap, right? And and one of the reasons that I was uh, I was I was honored to have not just the title of chief marketing officer, but experience is because there is a clear message that we are going to design and deliver an experience for our guests. Ultimately, that's what we're doing, right? In the in the middle of that experience, there could be a COVID test or a vaccine. But there's an arc where that experience starts somewhere and it ends somewhere. So, you know, together with my team, design is at the center of what CIC Health is because we're designing an experience. So it always starts with curiosity. Who are we designing for? Not just what do they need from a medical, clinical, biological, logistical perspective, but what do they need from a comfort perspective, from a trust side, from a, again, that emotional side, right? If anybody doubts that CIC Health can actually deliver on that particular COVID test or that vaccine, then we're, that's it. We're done, right? If, if there's ever a question about trust, I can't trust that new startup. I don't know them. They just create, you know, emerge from, I don't know where. So we have to design the whole experience in a way that builds that trust. So that's one example. I think the other is everybody sort of knows or not everybody knows, but within within our the creative world, we know that your brand is not what you say you are, but how people experience you. It's that impression that they have in their head. So very deliberately, as we design these experiences, somebody goes to our website, how do they book a test, a COVID test, or they book an appointment for the vaccine? What is that experience from A to Z? And for example, in the vaccine side and the sites, we've designed an experience that starts in our website and finishes in social media. And what do I mean by that? There's information that people need to be able to make a decision, whether it's schedule, not schedule, where to go, et cetera. Once they come to our site, we've helped them understand what's going to happen here. We communicate to them, you know, in an email the previous night, hey, we're looking forward to meeting you. How can you get ready? 
all of these different things. Once they're here, there's a continuity from that invitation that happened online to where they are here, the signage, the colors, the wording. And, and we consider, and, you know, again, in, in my team, we consider every word and every pixel. And we challenge ourselves with every word and every pixel. We always start with a question, what do you want people to feel? So that that first sign generates and connects at an emotional level. Then you're ready for me to tell you that, hey, you got to change your mask. You're going to do a health assessment. There's a series of things that are going to happen. But if my entry point with you is a human one, we're more, much more likely to be able to deliver to you a good experience, right? And this is, by the way, how humans engage. You don't show up to your, to your mother's house or your friend's house and say like, hello, what is in the menu for dinner? Like we, you, we don't, right? We do this in our day-to-day life. We should also be doing that for the products and services that we offer, especially health-related services, especially under the most emotionally heavy and, and, uh, and, and difficult year we've had, especially with the two most important things that you can have at this moment, which is a COVID test at the right time and a vaccine, right? Like that's it. So being aware of that emotional entry point within that arc is super important. And then afterwards they get the vaccine, they, have, they go through an observation period, et cetera. And we do say we finish the experience in social media because we offer the guests an opportunity to celebrate that they've gotten vaccinated. They get a little pin, as, as you have seen, that says, I got vaccinated at Gillette Stadium or Fenway Park or Reggie Lewis, which we're opening this week. And we give them an opportunity. Uh, our partners have been incredibly generous here at Gillette Stadium. They let the guests basically walk into the stands and you can look at the fields and you can take some photos and you can put in the social and and the same at Fenway Park. The team has been great. You can take a look through one of the tunnels into the park and right now it's snowed and beautiful. That That is the emotional anchor of, hey, I came here, I got my vaccine onward, you know, and I want to celebrate and share that with others that matter to me. And that's by design, which by the way, we also need it because we know there's a significant percentage of people that are not necessarily ready to be vaccinated or have questions whether they should or not. So anything that we can do to amplify the good experience that one of our guests has, we will do. So I I guess our our last question about standing up these testing and now vaccination facilities is because you're a logistics company and folks think operationally what needs to be done? How do you get from point A to point B? Do you think maybe there was a misunderstanding at the outset, just how big a piece communications would play? I mean, they say perception is reality and you are essentially impacting people's perception of how this process is going to go. Do you, do you think there was, or do you think that the, you know there was uh, there was a clear understanding amongst the team, your partners at the state level, about how crucial communications, how, yeah. how important a role communications would play? Yeah, I mean that's an important question. It's you know it has it's also difficult. Um, on one side, we had the benefit that from the onset when we started offering COVID testing, communications and the right branding and the right marketing was critical. So many of our partners had gotten used to that. Like, oh, I, I heard that ad at NPR. I saw this this uh, you know this post on social. It it carries always this consistency of honest, direct 
It's sort of like talking. We want people engaging with CIC Health as you would engage with one of your smartest friends that has life experience, but also tells you the truth and says it as it is directly and openly. They're not, you know, it's a little bit of tough love. Let me give you the right information and give you some advice and here it is. And it's straightforward. Um, so we had the advantage of what we did in the COVID testing side. But but there is also, you're right, there is also a bit of realization. And I think many of us are, are realizing that is that, hey, Clearly, we haven't put enough attention and investment in communication, um, both uh, clearly at a national level, uh, at a state level that I, you know, we, we need to put as much emphasis in engaging people to come to the site as, num- as the number of vaccines that we need to have at the site, because we could do everything right. And if people don't come and if people are, don't know where to go to sign up, and if people are not excited about coming, then the rest of the, the you know, the rest of the operation basically was for nothing. So I think in, in our team, there's been an incredible learning that the logistics and operation and partnership has to have a woven thread in there because after all, that's how you get people to eventually come here and, and then, you know, share that experience. Um, I think we've learned a lot, too. We've made mistakes along the way. And look, we couldn't do this without the partnership that we have, to, to be clear. Like, not just the partnerships with, with incredible teams at, uh, at Gillette Stadium, at Fenway Park, and Reggie Lewis, the Roxbury Community College. But for each of our sites, of vaccination sites, we have a clinical partner, whether it's Mass General Brigham or Beth Israel. We have a, a clinical staff partner, whether it's Transformative Health or Cataldo. We have an operations partner, which is DMSE Sports, which is a great team of people that, that put sporting events. And we have another partner for customer support, uh, PWN Health. And I mentioned this because if we wouldn't have these partnerships, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing, let alone in one site, scaling up to more than one site. So I think collectively, there's been a learning about the role of communications and design and proper storytelling over the last few weeks, because it was really weeks. <laughs> and I think the more and more we see the power of that, there is also like, ah, I get it. Now I understand why you were so stubborn about what specifically that sign of the site needs to look like and where should it stand. Right? Like there's a collective understanding that um, the how we engage the incredible, the, how do we engage the guests that come here is through communications and visual and storytelling and, and copywriting and specific words actually matters to glue it all together. It's incredibly thoughtful. And it's really interesting to hear you kind of describe, as you were saying, the whole nuts and bolts, I guess, of it. And I think that there's a lot of value that we can certainly draw in terms of thinking about how we can model future efforts with that similar perspective in mind, with that similar approach. And I'd love to talk a bit more about what we're doing at the Reggie Lewis Athletic Center, because in terms of communications, that every every site, every every place has its own challenges that you want to recognize and, and work to address. We There is no question that the most affected people in this pandemic are minorities, people of color, Black communities, Latinx communities, and other minority colors of, you know, people in poverty, et cetera. There's no question that we all recognize that we need to be doing more for that community. And we're very excited that the state asked us and invited us to basically run the Reggie Lewis facility in Roxbury, which is around this, this wonderful area in Boston, which has a significant number of people that are, that are Black, that are immigrants, that are Latinos, that are, you know, that are in poverty. Like, 
a very, a very culturally rich and also difficult area. So we were excited about that challenge. But that means, for example, that now we've considered, for example, materials that we're, put, we're sharing out in the community, posters, door hangers, flyers in nine different languages. And they need to be put in the communities where the primarily that language is primarily spoken. So we make sure that we put Haitian Creole materials in the neighborhoods where there's, you know, more Haitian Creole. And but what about the, the those that speak Spanish? What about those that speak Somali? And what about that those that may, you know, speak Chinese? And where and how do you integrate all of that in your communication strategy? Of course, it's incredibly important. And for us to have the opportunity to do that, of course, it's difficult. But again, if we're not curious about what makes people feel a particular way, we can't design the way to invite them to bring to get to a vaccination. Forget for a side that there's a mistrust for for some reasons that are understood to either get vaccinated or the vaccine works, et cetera, et cetera. So if we're building trust uh, in a place that has its own nuances culturally, historically, religious, language wise, we need to design for that. And this is probably the most difficult, I think for me, the most difficult campaign that I have worked with my team that have led a team is this, is how do we get 150, 200,000 people around the Roxbury, uh, in the Roxbury larger neighborhood, right? Like Mattapan, South Georgia, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure that we are conveying the right information in the right tone, inviting them, making them feel welcome and making it as much as possible easy for them to come and get vaccinated. And and that's been an incredible challenge. Of course, it's a great opportunity, but uh, yeah, we've really had to scratch our heads to do it right. And of course, we do this also bringing partners from the community. So we have, we brought in and we hired a, a part-time, part-time team member from the community to work with my team, also on the clinical team, also in the operations team. So you do it with the community. Um, so we're excited about that as well. And we're opening this week and we're going to ramp up to about 2,500 vaccines a day at the Reggie Lewis Athletic Center, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's really incredible. I wanted to just zoom out though and kind of pull that thread a little bit more about connecting with communities and different types of people of all backgrounds and just ask from an industry perspective, the communications industry, how do you think, you know, that we as communications professionals can help create a more inclusive and diverse communications industry, you know, kind of mirroring the efforts that we're working on in terms of our campaigns and and communicating outwardly. How can we do more to ensure that our our industry looks and feels as diverse and inclusive as our as uh, our work? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I think on one side, I think we have to realize that the more the more curious we are about different uh, groups we're trying to reach, the better our communications work is going to be, period. Clearly, we sort of all know that conceptually, that taking different points of view allows you to craft something that is more effective and creative and engaging. Okay. But I think one comes with a realization of, okay, where have we really pushed the boundaries on that? So a team working in communications, I think, has to have an honest look and say, hey, we really haven't pushed much on this side, on visual or copy or messaging. Or So I'll give you an example. You know, how do we celebrate being able to vaccinate many people week to week to week in the Roxbury community? One of the ways that we want to do it is we're identifying now an artist from the community to paint a mural. Imagine a very large mural that is like 12 feet long that has a grid of a hundred squares. And every time we vaccinate a thousand people, 
the artist can continue painting square to square to square to square. So in a matter of about three months, that mural is done and it represents 100,000 people vaccinated. That's communication because not only do we show progress, do we engage people of the community? It's someone from the community. It's through art. That might be much more effective than putting out a press release that says, hey, we vaccinated 100,000 people. Right. So we haven't done that in other sites and we, we're going to do that here. So how, where as a team, where do we take an honest look at ourselves and say, hey, we really haven't pushed the boundary. OK, let's take a risk and push it. That's one. I think the second is great communications combined with great design, combined with great tactics, of course, have a bigger impact. But sometimes we the metrics that we use for impact are very quantitative and are very limited. Like I think one of the worst things that happened to the communications industry in general is the term impression. Like who really knows if that connected with someone or not? It's basically a metric to say, yeah, you spent a lot of money in a place and got a lot of impressions. Yeah. Okay. Well, did I get the outcome that I needed, that I wanted? Did I touch people emotionally? Did I get them to a certain place? So I think every time I, you know, I do this with my team and I invite others is that discount impressions and find other, fine. It's of course important to know what is the return on a particular campaign, a particular investment and have some metrics. What are the non-quantitative methods that we can identify? We can still measure, but that are not just statistics. So one of the things that we try to do is, for example, social media. We, we've we looked at everybody that has posted on social media that they've gotten vaccinated at either Gillette Stadium or Fenway Park, and then we collectively grab those stories and share them as its own story. And there's hundreds of people of that. Right? Like, how do, I, how do I compare that with an impression of a, of a post? I don't know. But so we push ourselves to find other ways to understand impact as opposed to measure reach, which it's important, but has its limitations. I think the third one is we need to have, we start by, we need to have not just diversity in our work, but diversity in our team. And by that, I don't just mean you need one Latino, one black, one Asian, one white, which in many cases we know the advertising marketing agency sometimes tends to. And we need to say, no, you know what? That's bullshit. That is not the intention of being respectful and build on diversity. It's about not just about the historical background, the cultural background, but it's around diversity of ideas. It's about having an artist in your team. It's about, and it doesn't mean necessarily you need to hire uh, full-time all the time, right? Like It's about uh, finding someone that is going to bring a perspective that is going to help connect the message with an audience that otherwise you're not going to reach, whether it's an advisor, a consultant, full-time, part-time, who cares? However, it works. It's about reaching communities and, and target communities. And it's about reaching groups of humans that typically we don't. And it's about making them feel something. And that something, want, you want that something to be connected to the outcome of what you're doing. In our case, getting people vaccinated safely, efficiently, and, have, and through a great experience. That is impressive. I all The, the word is overused, but, um, you know, innovation just comes to mind when I hear the passion and the amazingly thoughtful approach that uh, yourself, Tim, the whole CIC team have taken uh, on this campaign, on this scope of work. And certainly uh, we're proud to be your partner in helping get the word out. I want to shift gears, Rodrigo. You know that we here at SMNC uh, work hard and play hard. And I do want to touch on something that I, I spoke about up top, which is your hobby of free diving. 
thing. So can you tell Reva and I how this began and a little bit about your career as a, a free diver and, and how you do learn to hold your breath for what I believe is a personal best of five minutes and 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Look, um, as things happen in life, you know, once you look back, you connect the dots. I'm like, oh yeah, that's how it happened. Um, I was going through a difficult personal time seven, eight years ago. And, you know, I was going through through those times. And, and a friend of mine, I, I basically said, I miss Mexico. I miss the food. I miss the language. I miss the culture. I'm just going to go down and spend a week and uh, and shut myself. No, no meeting with people, nothing. And a a friend of mine had given me a book uh, called Deep, which is sort of like born to run, but for free divers. <laughs> and I found this wonderful um, French, you know, down outside of uh, Playa del Carmen in Tulum, sort of in that area. And this is before everybody's sort of going diving down there and all of that. This was sort of early. It's about eight years ago or something like that. And I basically called him and I said, can you, can you teach me, and, you know, Julien, this, this great French diver? And sure. And long story, I basically became, you know, absolutely fell in love with the sport. It's, it has a very unique aspect, right? So it's, it's, you can free dive because genetically through evolution, we have this thing called the mammalian reflex, which basically your body goes through the most dramatic transformation in any sport, because in a matter of seconds, you shut down functions in the body, you change the way the metabolism metabolism works in your body. You're basically doing everything. Your body's doing all these things to survive underwater and you learn how to adapt to that. It's the most calming sensation when you're, you know, a hundred feet below the water in the middle of the Mayan jungle in a beautiful blue hole. You don't see anything. You don't hear anything. You don't smell anything. You don't taste anything. It's the closest that you will ever be to experience what the first cells experienced in, in this planet 4 billion years ago. <laughs> And from there, you know, then I met my my now wife, my back then wonderful uh, a girlfriend and then fiance, and she got into freediving and we started freediving together. And then it's just this beautiful, beautiful sport uh, that is elegant. And of course, design has to do with it. The the Every movement has to be considered. Every ounce of oxygen you use has to be considered. Uh, and you push yourself to limits, of course, uh, but in a very elegant uh, and just subtle way. So, yeah, that's how we got into it. And then, you know, you do Honduras and, and Yucatan and you do, you know, Canada and you start doing a lot more and um, a lot more diving. And yeah, we can't wait to get back. This year hasn't been very good for free diving. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't imagine. I, I was actually going to ask before you got into all of those um, spots, what some of the exotic locales you've, you've traveled to are uh, yeah. for free diving. But what's your favorite? I mean, by far the cenotes, these blue holes of water around Tulum in the middle of the Mayan jungle is by far the most beautiful diving I've ever done. And there's nothing like that, first of all, because how they were created and the history that it have. And, and the Mayans used to, you know, think of these places as sacred places. And it's sort of a door to the underworld, literally. And and it's just the energy, the feel, the history, the connection to nature, the, the water. It's just absolutely beautiful. Spectacular. Rodrigo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, we better uh, get going. Yeah. I, I heard. Uh, I heard when we uh, when we celebrate our partnership, we're gonna you know we'll hop in a plane and go down there. <laughs> I love Done. it, Rodrigo. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's, it's been a real pleasure having you, and and really appreciate you taking us over the past several months for CIC Health. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for a great partnership for all the work we do together, and uh, you know we're 
it takes a village and this clearly is a, a path that, that we're enjoying doing it. So thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. It was our pleasure having you. Now, quickly before we go, we like to end every episode with a PR pro tip. And today we have a few short tips for interviews done over Zoom, Microsoft Teams, or any other virtual platform. A year into the pandemic, virtual interviews have become the temporary norm. And there are a lot of important details to think about when setting yourself or a client up to go on the air. First and foremost, consider your background. Ideally, you should have a background that is interesting to look at and provides some depth of field, but without being distracting. When it comes to audio, it's preferable to use your computer's mic and speaker to eliminate the need for distracting wired headphones. If you do need to wear headphones due to noise in your space, wireless is best. And finally, make sure your computer camera is at eye level. This will help avoid the unflattering and unprofessional low angle shots we've all seen at some point with the camera pointing up the nose of the interviewee. Do your best to keep your eyes on the camera lens as opposed to looking directly at the computer screen or beyond it. This will help maintain the appearance of strong eye contact with your audience. When put together, these small details make a big difference and will help you or your client look and sound their best in a virtual interview. And to our listeners out there, thank you for joining us for another episode of And Then Some. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on future conversations. And if you've enjoyed this conversation and other episodes, please let us know by leaving a review and following us on social media. So Solomon McCowan Sensi on Instagram and at Solomon McCowan on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. But for now, we'll see you soon. Bye bye.